Greetings from Longtime No See the Podcast. Every week we'll be inviting two blindfolded comedians to answer a series of questions about their careers, lives, and opinions. Now, let's remove those blindfolds and start the show. Hi! What would your opening line with your celebrity crush be? Loved you in Harry Potter. <laughs> Worst date you've been on. A man bit my neck mole off once. You did what? A man bit my neck mole off. Oh my god, Jack almost fell off his chair. Be sure to follow and subscribe to the podcast. Consequence Podcast Network. Welcome to Going There, the crossroads where music and mental health meet. Presented by the Consequence Podcast Network and Sound Mind Live, today we are talking with singer-songwriter Alessia Cara. You of course know Alessia from her huge hit songs like Here, Stay, and my personal favorite, Scars to Your Beautiful. Alessia recently dropped two new songs, Sweet Dream and Shapeshifter, which will be featured on her upcoming third album. And she's performing Enter Sandman by Metallica on the Metallica Blacklist album, which is a collection of covers of some of Metallica's greatest songs. In our conversation today, Alessia and I talk about how she experiences and copes with anxiety. And one issue in particular that we discuss is the role of sleep in our anxiety. Now, many of us recognize that not getting enough sleep makes us grumpy or a bit stressed out, but consistently getting poor sleep or insomnia can really impact our mental health and leave us vulnerable to anxiety in the form of worry or even panic attacks. And Alessia talks about how she has struggled with insomnia throughout her life and how her insomnia and anxiety formed something of a vicious cycle. Now, on the Going There podcast, we have the tough conversations to address important issues so that we can learn from each other, challenge the stigma of mental illness, and get the care we need. And one of the things that can be very difficult for people to talk about is how poor sleep and anxiety make each other worse when we have frightening, catastrophic negative thoughts. These thoughts can be so terrifying that we try to avoid them and don't want to share them with others. And so we often find ourselves in a cycle whereby we have catastrophic negative thoughts, such as thinking about death or being hurt, and those thoughts make us anxious. That anxiety keeps us up at night, which results in poor sleep. Then, because of our poor sleep, we experience more of the physical symptoms of anxiety, such as restlessness, agitation, and feeling worn down. Those feelings leave us more vulnerable to negative thoughts, and then the cycle starts again. And Alessia does such a wonderful job articulating how she has experienced this vicious cycle, as well as how she's used therapy to help her become more aware of her physical experience and challenge her catastrophic negative thoughts. Now, as we progress through this season of Going There, our goal is to bring you, the audience, further into the conversation. On the Consequence website, or wherever you'll find these episodes, you'll also find a short questionnaire. We'd love to hear feedback from you, questions you have that have been sparked by our conversations with these incredible artists, and topics you'd like to see addressed. We will incorporate these responses into episodes, as well as a weekly column called Ask Dr. Mike. And if you enjoy the show, please leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. These help other folks find their way into the conversation so that they can go there with us. So let's go there and listen to what Alessia has to say. Okay, Alessia, welcome to Going There. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. So one of the things that we were talking about ahead of the podcast was that you have been struggling with anxiety and, and in any very particular way where 
you've had insomnia, which has been influencing your stress level in general, but also particularly panic. And let's mm -hmm. start there if you're comfortable with it. Yeah, for sure. So um, I think my insomnia has always been like a an issue in my life. I think before I even understood that it was a real thing. It was a thing like growing up, I remember just like being a little, little kid and just being up at night um, with so many different irrational fears, like, oh, that somebody was going to like break into the house or, you know, these terrible like thoughts would go into my head, like, you know, from a very, very young age. And I remember having to like see a couple psychiatrists, my parents just like didn't know what to do. There was always like this um, connection between my insomnia and like certain fears and irrational thoughts, which I now know to be anxiety. But growing up, I obviously didn't know what that meant, or my parents didn't even really understand it. Um, but then I think more specifically in the last year, all of those things were amplified, you know, by a thousand just because I don't know if it was like the outside worries or the isolation that we were all kind of simultaneously dealing with. But um, that insomnia just got so much worse, which led my anxiety to be so much worse. And then that anxiety turned into full blown panic and panic disorder that I've been dealing with and still kind of, you know, making my way down from now. Um, but yeah, it was a whole thing. It was, it was definitely a, a tumultuous year. <laughs> And one of the things that's so difficult for people when they struggle with those thoughts is that they're not really falsifiable. So you can't prove for a fact that there's not somebody who's coming into your room. You can't prove for a mm. fact that something bad isn't going to happen. And so in some ways, it's very difficult for people when they're in the throes of anxiety and it feels so real you know, because your thoughts are matching your emotions. Like I'm thinking something bad's going to happen and feeling something bad is going to happen. And it's very hard in those moments to disprove. And I'm just kind of curious, how, how do you deal with that? In, in, and that's something, again, that, that so many people struggle with. For sure. Yeah. I think like the hard thing for me is, I mean, growing up, obviously, like those, those certain irrational fears that like someone was going to break into the house, obviously they, they, they can't be disproved like a hundred percent, but at least those things you can kind of like rationalize or be talked down from. Like, I remember just, you know, my dad installed the security system and he, you know, they would reassure me that, you know, this, it, this was a safe home and things like that. But the older I got, like in this last year, my fears became so irrational, but also like they couldn't be answered. Like I, I remember developing, like a, a friend of mine got super ill in the last year, which was really hard for me because I started thinking a lot about death. And I think death particularly for me has always been a, a scary subject. But I think since it got so close to me with my, my friend, I started thinking so much about death to the point that it became a full-on phobia. So a lot of my thoughts at night in this last year have been surrounding death. And because there's no answer there, there's, there's no way to rationalize that. I found myself just going into like in circles, because there's no, there's no answer there. It's not like you can say, oh, this isn't going to happen because of this. It's like, it is going to happen and no one knows what happens afterwards. So th there was no answer there. So it, it became almost impossible to, um, to, to, to get out of that loop. And I think for me that the only way that I've managed to sort of calm that down is doing a lot of work on 
being present. I know that it sounds kind of like a campy thing to say, but like really focusing on my breath and my body and, and knowing how to stop that physical reaction. Because as soon as I start thinking about death, my heart starts racing, my body starts going a little numb. So I think controlling those physical movements uh, and those physical um, feelings has been really helpful to kind of like nip it in the bud. And then also focusing on being present as much as possible, thinking about today, what I'm doing right now, looking at the things around me, touching, feeling, you know, focusing on all five senses and and really trying to like ground myself in the moment because the second that slips away, it, you know, it starts to spiral. So it's been, it's been a challenge just because there's no answer there, you know, which makes it even harder to rationalize. So, yeah. And when people think about death, and if you if you feel comfortable talking about it, that would be great. If not, you know, we don't have to, obviously. But one of the things that's so difficult about death is that there's so many potential things to be afraid of, you know, in the sense that some people just, they enjoy their life and they don't want it to end. They don't want anyone uh, near them to suffer. They don't want themselves to suffer. And then there's that, like you're talking about that feeling of, well, what happens afterwards? Mm-hmm. And I'm just kind of curious from your experience, if if it was all of it, if it was a particular part of it that really got in your head in those moments. Yeah, definitely. I think now, like, you know, through doing a lot of therapy and trying to understand exactly where the fear comes from, I think it was a couple different things. I think first off, I struggle a lot with um, control and control of my own body, you know, when, when I start to feel like I'm getting out of control, that really sends me into a panic, which is why anxiety scares me a lot. And, you know, so I think the, the idea that something was going to happen to my consciousness, um, and that like, I'm essentially like, we're essentially trapped, you know, like we're on the train, like it's going to happen to us. And the fact that we don't know, and the fact that something is going to happen to me as a being and my consciousness and my body, and that I don't know about it and that I can't control it was a huge, huge um, factor in why it's so terrifying for me. Cause I really, really struggle with that. I think if anything alters my, my state of being, it really freaks me out. Um, and then also I think, you know, something my therapist brought up to me is like, oftentimes the, the fear of death or the phobia of death is the fear of living um, in a sense. And it, it has a lot more to do with you know, being unhappy with the way that you're living than actually dying, if that makes sense. So that was, there was an idea of that too, like in a more philosophical sense of like, I just felt like maybe I didn't have a lot of control of my life here now. And I, and I didn't, you know, I was, I was scared of the idea of living and, and how to be in my body and be okay with that, if that makes sense. So there was a lot of that too, that I am now kind of processing and, and figuring out, but, um, yeah, I think a lot of it was just like unknown, not not knowing and that feeling of sort of being trapped in yourself and not being able to get out or control that, you know, is scary. And one of the things that, you know, you and I were talking about beforehand is that, you know, sleep is such a powerful protector against anxiety. But if mm-hmm. you're having insomnia, you know, ta- thinking about all of the issues that you just described, you know, feeling in control of your body, feeling in control of your mind. It's, it's so difficult when we're not sleeping because on, a, on an evolutionary level, anxiety is basically just our kind of calculus as to 
how much could we protect ourselves if something bad happened? And if we're sleep deprived, which happens from, from insomnia, we're not in that great of a position to do it because we're not rested. We're, mm. we're maybe not able to concentrate. We maybe have low energy. And so our body is screaming at us that we're in danger. And mm. that's one of the things that's so tough because the cycle then is like, well, I'm not sleeping, which makes me anxious. And then my anxiety is probably interfering with my sleep. And that, that cycle is horrible for people, especially as it escalates to panic. Totally. Yeah. And I didn't even realize how much um, it played a factor. Like, I just didn't understand the connection between those things. I thought they were totally separate. I just thought, oh, if you don't sleep, you're, you just are really tired. But because I was still functioning um, on a basic level in the day, like I was able to do my job and go to work, I just thought like, okay, maybe it's, I can just handle it or something. But I didn't realize all the subconscious effects it was having and all the physical effects it was having um, that were sort of like stored and just growing. Cause you know, the more, the more sleep you lose, the more those other things sort of escalate. And like you said, shout at you. And I think if you ignore your body for a long enough time, like it's going to make you pay attention in, in all kinds of ways. And I'm, you know, even now still in the process of understanding why anxiety is there and the fact that it's, I just kind of look at it like a, it's almost like a computer with like a out of date software almost, you know, it's like back in the day, you know, like super, super back in the day, those feelings of like fight or flight and all and panic were like extremely useful, not only useful, but necessary for survival. You know, they were, they were an important part of our lives back then because there was like a lion or bear in front of you and you had to learn how to hide from it or like run from it, you know, and it was a necessary point of survival. But I think as we've evolved in life, we live in a very, very different world, but that software is still the same. There's no way of that part of our brains to, to understand that we've evolved. So now it's like, it'll still go off as if there were danger in front of us, except there is no danger. And I didn't know the connection between the, that lack of sleep um, triggering that, that fear response. I didn't think that those things were related, but now you know, I'm understanding so much about how that you know, is such a huge, huge um, part of it. But yeah. I just didn't understand. You know, it's interesting the way that you describe it, because I, I think it's, it's exactly what you're saying. It always reminds me of one of those movies, like a Jason Bourne movie, right? When they're like, they see someone and they're like, okay, they get facial recognition. Who's this person that they're talking to? And like, oh, it's someone who's a Russian, like secret service. Let's bring up everything that we can, all the information we have about that person. Like, who is it? What have they been talking yeah. about in the last, you know? And there's this flood you know, and you have all these people with like multiple screens and like everyone's getting the information, <laughs> then someone's supposed to decide, okay, now what do we do? And, and to me, that's what it, what it feels like. It's like, mm -hmm. again, from an evolutionary perspective, it's like you see a lion. It's in our best interest to bring up every sight, smell, taste, memory, feeling, yes. touch that, that has to do with a lion and flood our brain so that in theory, we have every single piece of information we know what to do with this threat. The problem is, is that it's, it's, it's such a tipping point where if you're not careful, it just can just bowl you over. And it's like, how do you gain control so that you're looking all the screens and then being like, okay, I get it. Now, now what can I think about doing? But sometimes it just feels like a wave. You just got like knocked over. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, you describe it so well, like the Jason Bourne movies, where it's like, you know, yeah, it's exactly that. It's like every bit of information about this, every every sense, every response mechanism is just completely heightened and ready. And it's and you know, oftentimes there is no danger, so you don't know. Your body doesn't know. Your consciousness doesn't know how to process that, and it it feels very much like just a wave. It feels like you just get punched in the face with this fear that you know is irrational, but like one part of your mind knows it's irrational. And then there's this other part that is completely out of control. And again, that control thing, it's like, you, you just, I don't know. I, I just really struggle with, um, with that lack of control. And then I get even more scared because it's like, Oh, I'm losing control. I'm going crazy. What's going on. And then I freak out even more. And it's like a vicious cycle of like my mind sending signals to my body and my body sending signals to my brain. And it's like, you know, it just got to the point where it just was like full-blown panic at that point. And I, I was so far gone. It felt like I had opened a door that I just couldn't couldn't um, unsee through, I guess. You know what I mean? Now, one of the things that happens for people, and I'm kind of curious, just your experience of this, is that sometimes, for lack of a better way of saying it, we give ourselves permission to have anxiety in certain situations, but we mm-hmm. don't give ourselves permission in other situations. And so, for example, I mean, you have been in what I, I guess I would consider to be objectively terrifying situations. Like you've performed in front of thousands of people, you performed in front of millions, maybe even billions of people on national TV, right? Where these are situations that are, again, it would not be irrational for you to be afraid. Mm-hmm. And you've handled those situations. And I'm kind of curious that if you've ever gotten anxious in those and do you talk to yourself differently, specifically, do you give yourself more permission to say, hey, I get it. Whereas in other situations, sometimes we kind of don't give ourselves permission and that can actually make it worse, you know? So it's like, hey, I totally get why you're anxious here. It's almost like, it's almost like a good friend versus a bad friend. You know, like mm-hmm. there's like a good friend who's like, oh, hey, I get it. You know, you're doing so great. Of course you're anxious. This is such a big deal. And then the other thing is like, why are you, why are you anxious? You're just sitting in bed. God, you're such a like, you know, don't be such a crazy person, you know? Mm-hmm. And I'm yeah, just kind of curious how, yeah, how you think about those those situations differently. For sure. Yeah, that's such an interesting point that I never really, I guess, thought about that way. You know, I have been through like very objectively terrifying, anxiety provoking things. Um, But I guess it kind of goes back to being able to rationalize them. Like, I feel like I do give myself more permission in those situations because A, I'm able to like talk myself down from them and say like, it's not that bad. They're not waiting for you to fail. It's going to be great. They're there to enjoy the show. Like, you know, there's ways to like talk yourself in a, in a logical way down from that. Um, but also, like you said, I mean, they are objectively scary. So I feel like I kind of am more passive with those moments. But then it was in the, the smaller moments, like being able to go to sleep or being terrified of just being just being in my body because there are moments where I would have these panic attacks about like I would become so aware of my own body and my breathing and and then I realized like how trapped I I was and I would try to run outside and I couldn't get out of myself and that was terrifying so I I always would and still kind of do beat myself up during those moments because I would just be like you don't even know how to be a person like you can go on stage and sing in front of thousands of people but you can't go to bed or you can't even be in your body like that is the the basis of just being 
being a human being and you don't even know how to do that. And it was frustrating to me because it was like, how can I do all these other things? But then the most basic things like just going to bed without being petrified or being in my own self or being alone, like why are these things so challenging for me? It was, it was very, very hard and still is. Like I still get so mad at myself sometimes for, for those, for those times, you know? Yeah. You know, one of the things that I'll talk about with people who I work with is I'm always like, you know, I evaluate their self-talk based on how I would react if it was coming from a third person in the room, Mm. you know? So it's like, imagine a third person in the room, we're talking to you like this, how would we react? Mm. And I, and I think to myself, if, if, if someone said to you, not, not knowing you, but let's just say hypothetically, someone said to you, let's see, you you don't even know how to be a human being. I'd be like, who the fuck invited you? Like, <laughs> yeah. I, I would just be like, I just be like, I'd be like, how, I, I honestly, like my reaction would be like, how dare you talk to this person like this? Look at everything that she's done in her life. Why would, and, 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 and so with all the things that she's tolerated and all the anxieties and just because she struggles with something, you're gonna, you're gonna say she doesn't know how to be a human being. And I, I would say like when, when, when in some ways, by definition of leading a fulfilling life, you, you push yourself against anxiety provoking situations. And so I, I'm just kind of curious, like when you hear, like, I, I know when I hear that, when I hear when the people I'm working with, I'm like, I don't need you to be like super nice to yourself. I'm just talking about like basic, basic, basic kindness. And it's like, if someone, you know, and it's like, it's like, don't ever say to someone, you don't know how to be a human being. But when it's your own self-talk, you kind of have to have a conversation with it a little bit more because yeah, it's you. Totally. And so yeah. I'm just kind of curious, like when you hear yourself saying things like that, how, do, how does that equate for you? That's an excellent point. Yeah. Picturing it from, you know, another person in the room's perspective. Yeah. Because when even as you explain that, like if someone were to say that to me, I'd be so hurt. I'd be so, I'd be trying to like disprove that. But for some reason, because it's me, I, it feels completely factual. Like it's so strange. It's like, I don't, it's hard because in my mind, like it, there is no like disputing that. It just feels like that is what it is. And I think that's been another huge thing that I've had to um, like, try to undo and unlearn because I think I've gotten to this point where that's just, that's my default way of speaking about myself and to myself. And in my mind at the moment, it feels so like real. Um, and it's super challenging. I think the thing that like kind of changed it a little bit for me, this sounds so dumb, but I I got a dog, um, in, in the middle of like quarantine and like in kind of the thick of what I was dealing with. And one day I was just looking at her and I was like, this is like a a being that, you know, relies on me for everything. It relies on me to like, make sure that it gets enough sleep and food and care and love. And the way that I, like, I just pictured myself like talking to her the way that I talk to myself and I would never do that, you know? And, And then I realized like all these things that I would never do to this little puppy that's relying so much on me, I'm doing to myself. Like I was neglecting my body in so many ways. I was not getting the right sleep. I just wasn't even caring to get the right amount of sleep at that point. Cause I just hated myself. I wasn't eating. I, you know, was talking to myself so negatively, I, like hygienically, I wasn't taking care of myself. It was just all around. I was doing the things that I would never do to this little being that I love so much. And it's like, well, if I wouldn't do that 
to her, why am I doing it to myself? And why am I allowing this to continue? You know, and I think that's kind of where it clicked. It's like, you, you have to nurture yourself as you would something outside of yourself that you love, you know, it's like your inner child, you know, sometimes I picture myself as a kid. And it seems like such a different entity outside of myself, but even though it's me, and I'm just like, I would never talk to that little girl the way that I talk to myself now. So putting it in that perspective, I try really hard to be more gentle, but I guess when I lose control and when my body is, is so frustratingly not cooperating and when I feel so trapped, that just seems to be like the default, you know, which is, it's, it's definitely a work in progress even now. You know, it's interesting you talk about control and living the way that you want to, because I think that one of the things that's that's very tricky for people, I think, when someone like yourself will talk about these things is like, you know, you think about a song like here, and I, I don't know what it was about, but I'm just taking some of the lyrics mm. literally. And, and it's almost by definition seemed to me, well, not by definition, it seemed to me to be somebody who was able to assert control it was actually yeah. like that was the whole point was like how to assert interpersonal control in a very very complicated ambiguous and and at times uncomfortable situation you know and mm -hmm. there's like you're at a party like people are coming and talking with you and it's like in theory you want to be you know i want to be social but like i kind of don't and mm -hmm. i think that it's it's tough because there's an assumption that people who are musicians, especially if they've gotten to the point where they're really successful on the level that you have, that, well, of course you have control. But when you talk to people about how difficult it is to live that life, it, it, it actually it starts to be like, wow, a lot of these things are actually almost designed to destroy someone's sense of control. 100% thousand percent yeah which is a, a huge challenge for me because I struggle with that just on a day-to-day -day basis within myself but yeah I think this industry is I I feel like I don't know I don't want to speak for every artist but for me personally and with a lot of artists I've spoken to it feels like instead of your life kind of catching up to you as you're moving in a controlled way it feels in this industry like you are constantly catching up with your life or you know chasing your this life that is sort of guiding you and leading you um and pulling you in a sense like it, it's so strange because it you have like such a long leash but such a short leash at the same time you know it, it's i don't know if it's because people like so many people so many more people than normal have access to you and access to information about you, opinions about you. Then you also have everyone around you relying on you for their income and to make a living. And there, there's just so much pressure that, yes, it's an amazing life. And it's, you know, it's wonderful that I get to make songs for a living, et cetera. All these wonderful things, all my dreams have come true. There is, it just feels like you are controlled by so many other factors outside of yourself. And it's so easy to get lost in that and, that's been a huge challenge for me because I struggle so much with that already. You know, I, I just feel like this life and fame in general is not something that is a human emotion. It's it's not something that humans can process because there's no, there's no part of our biology that prepares us for that. Cause it was never a thing, you know, years and years and years back. Like, so I just feel like there's no way that our brains can actually 
like wrap themselves around how to navigate that, if that makes sense. I, I don't know if I'm explaining that correctly. But. No, and this happens for people in a lot of ways. You know, you, you get people who thought to themselves, I, okay, I, I wanted to be an attorney. And it's like, oh my God, I've always wanted to be an attorney. And you you chose this. This was something that you went after. You know, you worked hard in mm -hmm. high school, you know, you worked hard in college and then you go to law school. And now you're working and you're working hundred hour weeks and you still, it's like, you know, there's other people, there's like a partner telling you what to do, can call you up on a Friday night and be like, come in. This is for, this is for a lot of fields, you know, mm -hmm. where yeah. you're, you're kind of there and you're like, I, I know I chose this and I still want to do it, but why doesn't this feel good? Because the first thing that you do to some degree, when you have a dream, when you have a, when you have an aspiration is you kind of give yourself over to that aspiration and to the processes that are in place to achieve that. And mm. it, you don't really, not you, but like people don't really think about that beforehand. And so they're not prepared for it emotionally. They just are looking at the, at the end point, but then the whole way through, you're like, like, how is this supposed to feel? Like, I, I don't really know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And I feel like a lot of people, if there's like a, like a totem pole or like a, like a, what's the word I'm looking for? Like a pyramid of success, according to, you know, people's opinions or what the story has been for many years. Like the top tier is always like fame and money and being rich. And so I think this is never, this was never my intention. Like I just love to sing, but I think in general, as a, as a, society as people we we often see that as like the end all be all you know and we think like oh once we get there all of your problems are going to be solved you're constantly you're just going to be happy all the time that is the top tier level of success and I think like when the older you get to realize like the, the, the more you realize excuse me that like that's not what success is at all and there is no amount of money or fame or dreams coming true that will make you exempt from feelings of anxiety and feelings of depression and all these, if anything, like it kind of makes you have access to more of those feelings because you're at a place where no human being should ever be in a sense like that. That's not normal for human beings to have thousands and thousands, sometimes millions of people having access to your life and your privacy and opinions to you constantly all the time. Like it just feels so abnormal as people to be put in that situation. And I think for me, a big struggle with that was like admitting that to myself that I was struggling and that it was a problem for me in the beginning because you feel so ashamed. You're like, I have everything. Like my life on paper is so wonderful and so beautiful. And there's so many people who would kill to be in my position. And it felt so ungrateful to say like, hey, I'm struggling or this is overwhelming or this is challenging for me. It felt so awful, you know, to say that even now, like, I feel like I always have to put a disclaimer in front of it when I'm just being honest, you know, because you just feel so bad to say that it's, that it's hard, you know, because like I said, like, this is like on a, on a pyramid, this is like the, the end all be all life, you know, but it's not how it works. Well, and one of the things that's such a difficult thing, I think, for people as they achieve more success, however they define it, is that by definition, that disconnects people from others. Because, mm -hmm. you know, everybody's journey is nuanced. And the more, quote unquote, unique your journey is, whether it's success, or you're just doing something like completely different from everyone else, or, or both in the case of, of somebody like yourself, 
by definition, every people don't really know what you're going through because mm -hmm. for a lot of people, you know, you're talking about like, well, it, it, it feels overwhelming, but your music is what people listen to, to feel better mm -hmm. in some cases, or the feeling is that they feel better. Right. So yeah. it's like, Oh, I'm a little bit out of, you know, whatever I'm going to, I'm going to put, you know, one of the less albums on, or I'm going to listen to a song or it comes on the radio. And so the, the, the disconnect grows wider to some degree as things get better for you, because I mean, how, how would somebody really understand what you've gone through? There's not that many people who have. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's hard. I feel like people can sympathize, but empathizing is the, is the challenging part because there's such a small percentage of people who can actually relate, which is why I think a lot of artists go to each other for friendships and for connections because, you know, it's, it's like such a small percentage. And again, like I'm so lucky to be able to have this life and this life has opened so many doors for me that I never would have had, you know, had I not pursued this and, and been able to pursue this. But at the same time, it opens other doors that rarely get opened that only the 10 or however many percent of people that go through this exact life have opened, if, if that makes sense. And it, it's like, it just exposes you to like, I don't know. I feel like it's you're so much more prone to being stretched thin because everybody wants a, a piece of you. And I think it's very easy to be put in a in a box or to be labeled when you're an artist, especially an artist who's open and honest, that people connect to, which is wonderful. And the, the fact that my fans have come to me and said so many wonderful things about how I've helped them in their lives is the most beautiful thing I could have ever asked for. But at the same time, I think people forget that a lot of the songs that I write about positivity and confidence and stuff are, are extremely aspirational. I'm not speaking from a, a point of like, you know, the top of the mountain where I'm like, this is what I've learned and I've, you know, I've discovered it all and I'm passing it on. It's, it's from a point of being exactly where they are emotionally and mentally and writing in hopes that I can heal myself while healing other people. So I think that that's been a disconnect throughout a lot of my career as people have, you know, called me very wonderful things like, you know, like writing like positivity anthems or confidence anthems, which is great. But I, I, I became more ashamed of those songs during a period of my life because I thought, well, like, I, like, I don't believe a lot of these things that I'm saying now about myself because I got into a, a point where I was like extremely depressed and felt horrible about myself. So I felt like singing these songs like Scars to Your Beautiful or Here or whatever, like I felt like I was like an imposter. I was like, these people are looking to me for confidence and positivity. And I don't even feel this way about myself. So I became even more ashamed, you know, to, to, to speak about how I was really feeling. Um, and I, I just want people to understand that, that a lot of the songs I write about positivity and confidence are extremely aspirational. You know, I'm, I'm in the same point of life as a lot of my fans. I'm the same age as a lot of them. And I I'm figuring things out just as much as everyone else. And I don't have the answers no artist, no person in the world is, is, you know, the holy grail of answers. Like that's just not how it works. <laughs> so that, that was challenging for, for a moment in time. And, you know, one of the things that you're talking about, which is so dangerous because, you know, we talk about panic or we talk about depression. Mm -hmm. We never, ever, ever question. Well, let me, let me, let me take a step back. Number one, when we feel panic or we feel depression, the isolation that we feel is so powerful because number one, we, we can only look right in, in, in front of our faces at that moment because we're mm -hmm. so terrified or so in pain emotionally. 
But the other thing is what you just described. We never, ever, ever question our authenticity when we are having negative thoughts, right? Like the thing that you rattled off about, like, you know, don't know how to be a human. You just, you just said that like it was, like you said, like it was fact. Mm -hmm. when When it comes to being positive, we question that authenticity in a very powerful way. Like if any moment in our life, we're not that way. It's like, oh, I'm a fraud. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's one of the ways that the negative thinking really starts to take hold because for some reason we feel like, okay, that's real. And then this, like you described, this aspirational positivity, that's cute, but it's it's kind of fake. And that's what we tell ourselves. And so mm-hmm. it just it just starts to feel when we get that anxiety, when we get that depression, oh yeah, 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 this is me. And when we feel good, it just it just melts away and it is so hard. To, to, to grasp at that at all. It just feels like, God, did it, did it, did it ever even happen? Like, was mm-hmm. I ever that way? Yeah. Like you really start to question yourself. It, it's so challenging because I, I feel like it's just our default to, our default is always to be negative about ourselves and it's a constant challenge and you have to constantly consciously do the other thing, like go the other way, think positively about yourself, not see yourself as an imposter, be more patient with yourself as if you were, would be to your friend or something. But yeah, I think for me, I mean, it's hard enough to do that, like in a regular situation with a few friends and family, I think like, as people, we're used to having our little pack and, you know, communicating with those, you know, whatever, how many people like five, 10, 20 people. But then when you're put in front of thousands and thousands of people at once, and then these people are now looking to you and have given you this responsibility of being this beacon of positivity for them to help them through their challenges, it becomes even harder to navigate your own. And you start to question yourself even more because you're like, now everything I say, they're going to take so deeply and take to heart. And I don't want to say the wrong thing. I, 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 don't want to be honest about how I feel about myself. Cause I saw that as like a weakness. I, I thought like saying like, Hey, I feel really shitty about myself. Sometimes I'm going through all of these dark things. I thought that that wouldn't be beneficial to them. I thought the only thing that would be beneficial would be to like, you know, say that it's going to be great and it's fine and it's all good. And we love ourselves. But now the more open I've become and the more comfortable with these struggles that I've gone through, I've become, I've realized that it's just as beneficial to say, I'm going through this, this, and that, then it would be to be like, everything is fine, if not more beneficial. Because all people want when they're going through the hardest times, just like all I wanted when I was when I was going through the hardest times was just for someone to say, same here, I'm going through it too. And it's not even about finding an answer or the solution half the time. I think the real strength comes in numbers and in people saying, you're not alone. So I think that's what's allowed me to be way more open and to be comfortable having these conversations is that it's not a weakness. It's not, you don't become like a bad role model if you're saying I'm going through all this stuff. If anything, you you become, you you connect people even more and you're helping people even more with being honest, you know? So that's that's how I've tried to navigate it now. Yeah, and I think that one of, you know, one of the reasons why I, you know, I like doing these kinds of, you know, having these kinds of discussions and doing these kinds of interviews is because I think that not intentionally, but, you know, when I was growing up, rock stars were rock stars. I mean, by definition, the goal was to create a fantasy image that, you know, 
that we could just like kind of take us away from our life. And that was wonderful for, for, you know, it's wonderful to be transported into a world where, you know, you could feel differently than you did in your regular life. Mm-hmm. But two things would happen. One is you, you'd then go back to your regular life and there wasn't really much you could draw from that. Cause like, you weren't going to be a rock star. And like, you know, the, this, these people didn't seem to have anything in common with you. Right. Mm-hmm. But the second part was that afterwards you kind of feel bad. You should be like, Oh man, I'm not a rock star. Like mm-hmm. they've they've got it all figured out. And like they've yeah. it's, it's like, and it felt if it was like taking a drug, like it felt great at the moment. Like I'll put on the music and it feels really good. But it 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 kind of was like you just have to keep listening to the music to feel good and then you would feel badly afterwards. Mm-hmm. But but one of the things that I think more and more artists are doing is like like what you're doing is by opening up and being like, like you're saying, like same here. Now, all of a sudden, it's sort of like, I don't have to go back and sort of feel like, oh, but, you know, like the, the, the concept of just being a person is greater. And I think that people are getting more out of their, the, the experience of an artist. I think it's a more rich experience now because mm-hmm. I feel like they're getting to know a little bit more who the artist is. And these kind of connections, I think, will then further, further make the benefits, emotional, aspirational, whatever, greater because they actually can say, oh yeah, like not only, I don't just look at Alessia as like, oh, she's her, but she's me. It's like, no, maybe, maybe she is a little bit more like me than I thought. Mm. And that can get people yeah. through. That's the difference between people like, I mean, I, I don't want to, you know, like kind of going down a very bad path versus not, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, a thousand percent. It's so true. I think, you know, there are people who sometimes, you know, just want a distraction and want escapism and, and go to certain artists for that, um, or, you know, or, or find that outside of music in general. But then there are a huge chunk of people who who just want to see themselves, you know, in other people. And like, there are tons of people who, who don't write music, who don't know how to express these emotions, who maybe have never said these things out loud that are going to maybe listen to this podcast or listen to me speak about things in my music that turns a light bulb on for them where they see themselves in me and they're able to process their what they're dealing with better you know like escapism is great and I have songs where you know they're positive and we can feel good about ourselves but I think people just need songs to cry to too and to to feel connected to I think when I was going through like the scariest time of my life a few months ago like with you know experiencing like derealization and all these awful things that I, I thought were just um, exclusive to me. I thought like no one else was going through this. I'm just going crazy. Something is wrong with me. All I was looking for, all I would do was like get on my computer and like search Reddit threads of like keywords, trying to find anybody in the world who was experiencing what I was going through just so that I could be soothed so I could be pacified and, and understand that it wasn't just me. And I wasn't even looking for answers or reasons. I just wanted someone else to say same here. And that's what I was seeking out the first thing I did. So and I think a lot of people just want to see themselves in other people and want to be able to have a way to process their own emotions through other people's words and other people's emotions. So um, I realized that that is way more beneficial. And in a sense, I feel like that's more of my purpose, you know, to just to have to allow other people to see themselves through me. And if that if that entails me being as honest as I can, even if it's like, I don't have the answers or sometimes I don't know how to be a person or sometimes I hate myself. Like if, if it's just that, then I'm way more willing to do that, you know, and, and I'm not afraid to do that anymore. 
because I feel like there's so much strength in that. It's not, it's not a weakness. It's not being an imposter. It's just being honest, you know? So, um, that's where I'm at right now. Of course that sometimes it, it's the insecurities still seep in, but better now, I think. <laughs> now, can we use that to segue just into the new music? Because you had talked mm. about how those ideas were, were in the stuff that you were working on now. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think for, for a period of time, like I didn't, I, I thought people might've needed some sort of escapism, of course. So I was trying to not write about those, the things that I was dealing with. I was like, I don't want to depress people, you know, the, the same usual insecurities that I touched on before, but then it got so bad for me to the point that I hadn't, like, there was nothing else on my mind. These were the only things that I could talk about the only things that I felt I needed to talk about. And so I wrote a lot of songs about this scary period in my life a few months ago that lasted about like, I don't know, pretty much the whole year, but I'd say more specifically like six to eight months of just complete disaster, fear. Like it was, it was the worst period of my life, I think. Um, and I, that was all, it was just so all consuming that I, I just had to sort of write about it. It wasn't even a choice at that point. It was like, I just need to get this out of my body. Um, and so I wrote a lot about my experiences and, and a lot of those songs ended up making it to this project because I feel like what happened after I got that down on paper was that I was able to see it in a tangible way and then process it and I think if it weren't for those rock bottom moments and those songs about those rock bottom moments I wouldn't have understood that I was dealing with something serious and I wouldn't have gotten the help that I needed and so the second half of the album is about me healing and you know finding this new joy for life and understanding myself and processing and I feel like there's a there's a really nice story throughout the album where you kind of see the the journey for lack of a better word that I've gone on in the last year with just understanding and processing and then healing and finding a light at the end of the tunnel. So I felt like those songs were important to put out because I know that there are people who are going through right now what I was going through a few months ago. And I want them to see, you know, someone who's gone through that and is now in a place where I can talk about it freely. And I'm, I'm way better than I was, even though I have a long way to go, I'm way better. And I hope that I can be living prove to these people that it it does get better and there is someone who is dealing with that who is completely lost you know and a lot of these songs don't have answers a lot of these songs on the first half of this record are like just me venting basically and being terrified you know about what I was going through and the second half is is um you know a little bit more positive and a little bit you know finding the answers but that first half of the record is just completely disastrous. <laughs> um, but I, I feel like that they were so important to, to put out and talk about, because like I said, it's not even about finding answers for people. A lot of the time it's just finding someone in, who can show them themselves. And I hope that, you know, those songs can, can do that for people, you know, could be of, of some sort of use to other people. Alessia, thank you so much for coming on. It's, it's been great talking with you. I've enjoyed your music for a long time and, uh, this is really powerful stuff and I know it's going to help a lot of people. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thanks for having me. Um, and for letting me ramble on about <laughs> my, my feelings. I, I appreciate it. Absolutely. Best of luck to you and everything. Thank you so much. You too. So there it is. Alessia Cara talking about her struggle with anxiety and insomnia throughout her life. There is so much to take away from the conversation with Alessia. 
But one thing I really wanted to focus on was how she talked about her songs. Alessia's songs are so inspiring and filled with hope and triumph. But as Alessia describes it, her songs are often aspirational. They don't necessarily reflect her having fully overcome her mental health issues. Rather, they reflect her commitment to the process of continuing to work on her mental health. And I feel like this was such a brave and powerful statement by her. And so on message with the goals of the Going There podcast, mental health is an ongoing journey and often a struggle. And even the most successful, accomplished, and famous people don't always have the answers. And they are just working every day to understand who they are, how they can be their most authentic selves, and build their own emotional well-being. I want to thank Consequence Podcast Network and Sound Mind Live for including me in this wonderful project. And thanks to Pete Wilson and the Rooks for letting us use their song, I Know. If you are struggling with anxiety, depression, or addiction and are looking for help, please call the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration National Helpline at 1-800-622-4357. And if you're thinking about harming yourself and want to seek help, please contact the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255. You may also go to the Sound Mind Live and Consequence of Sound websites for more information. So be healthy, be safe, and be kind to yourself and others. See you next time at the Crossroads.